Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else. Even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Welcome to Phantom Brewing. You've got me here, you've got the Wise Men Say podcast. This is all getting recorded. We're going to go through some housekeeping rules in just a moment, but I think the best thing to do now is to introduce the man you are all here to hear from. It is the man who put the ball in the Geordie's net on more than one occasion, Super Kevin Phillips. Is that it? <laughs> There's always one, isn't there? Great to have you here, Supercare. Thanks very much indeed for coming down. I think the first question is quite obvious. What do you think of uh, this special beer that's been brewed for you? Well, I've only had one pint. I might not make the game if I have any more. <laughs> uh, now, uh, first and foremost, delighted to be here. Uh, wonderful place. Um, never heard of eating. I'm freezing in here, isn't it? <laughs> I bet we can have no swearing if there's kids in the room. But um, yeah, no, delighted to come along and uh, it's a fantastic place and a great job you've done and really looking forward to going to the game today. Of course, the weather out there sounds pretty awful, but hopefully the result will make it worthwhile. Yeah, absolutely. Well, uh, just uh, that housekeeping there, you all know where the toilets are now. The buses to get to the game, they arrive at quarter past one, they leave at half past one. Don't be late for them. And coming back, wherever they drop you off, they're going to pick you up from that same spot at quarter past five to bring you back here. Okay, right, bar is open, you know where it is, and we've got that special Let's Talk About Kevin beer. Right, okay. Wise men say here as well, this is all being recorded, so when it comes to swearing, we know that on the podcast, I think you are allowed to swear, however, there are kids in the room. So when we open it up to you to ask some questions, just be careful with your language for that reason, and that reason only. Right. Before we get on to your Sunderland career, uh, Super Kev, what most people want to know is about, you've always been seen as someone who will eventually be Sunderland manager, okay? So let's get this out of the way straight away. You made no secret of the fact that you were interested in the job last time it came up, when, when Jack Ross went and, and, and Parkinson eventually got the job. Just tell us about the process of trying to get into that dugout. Yeah, uh, listen, I, I haven't hid the fact that certainly the, when, when the job come up before Phil, you know, I, I, I sort of put myself out there. And I was actually in the northeast when Jack lost his job. I was up there for three nights. I was doing a, a gig with Reedy and Brian Robson. So the, the media were there. And, and, and I said publicly that, yes, I'm interested. I'd love to take the job. Uh, we'll approach it through the right channels in terms of approaching the football club which I hadn't done previously when I was linked with a job because I was in in work at Derby and Stoke at the time um, but I thought this time being out it just felt right um, so we went down the right channels never got to the point and I think you you were quite surprised earlier when because I think you automatically thought that I'd had an interview uh, there was no interview that took place it was just a conversation between my uh, advisors and, and, the, and the club. Uh, so it never got to that point. And we, it was made clear to us that, you know, they wouldn't pursue it at, at this stage. They were going to look elsewhere, which is fine. Um, so, yeah, of course, you know, naturally, I've got... I love the place. And at some point, I would love to go back as manager. But at the moment, you know, I think Phil's doing a good job. 
you know the, the club's in a good place at the moment in terms of on the pitch you know whatever's going off off the pitch will take care of itself um, but at the moment on the pitch I was there for the Wiccan game uh, not so long ago and I thought it was one of their best but if not the best performance of the season and it looks like he's found a consistency now a solid team that looks like hopefully you know come the end of the season we'll be there or thereabouts what uh, sometimes you hear is oh yes but he hasn't got any managerial experience but you do now have a lot of coaching experience. You've been at, at Leicester. I mean, we know how much you helped Jamie Vardy when you were there. You've been at Derby. You've been uh, at Stoke as well, like you say. You actually are now an experienced coach. It's just that you haven't been that in the manager job. Is it a bit unfair to say that you're not experienced enough? Well, unfortunately, that, that is you know, what it is. There's nothing I can do about that. But I think with what Stevie Gerrard and Frank Lampard have done at their... At their clubs is refreshing for any you know coach that aspires to be a manager who hasn't got the experience you know that has helped because I think chairmen's now probably look at that and think you know they took a gamble and it paid off now listen it's not going to pay off for every manager because I could name you know probably look at Teddy Sheringham who his first managerial experience went in at Stevenage you know club where I'm, where I'm from Stevenage and it didn't work out for him and, and, and I think you would say Teddy probably will never get back into management um, so it, it but I think I get why the board went for an experienced manager. I understand it. But sometimes, you know, when you've gone down that tried and tested route for such a long time in terms of this club, and they've had experienced managers who have, you know, let's, let's face it, have fouled. Uh, I think Big Sam, if he hadn't gone to England, might have take, you know, kept the club in a good, stable position, but it didn't happen. You know, why not take a gamble? At the end of the day, it's, it's my decision, really, if it fouls or not. You know, I'm, I'm not worried whether it fouled or not because you get to a point in your life where you think, I can't worry about my reputation. If I want to be a manager, I need to have a go. Um, so, hey, listen, it might happen, it might not. I'm not getting any younger. I'm 46 now and, you know, it's uh, over the next year, you know, we'll, we'll, we'll see what happens. Would, would you, at, at this stage now, especially with someone, maybe not as, uh, necessarily anywhere else, would you only come back as the number one? Um, I certainly wouldn't come back in coaching capacity. I would certainly come back... Listen, I, I, I try to push forward. I really put Nigel Pearson's name forward for when it was made clear that I wouldn't get the job. I said, well, what you know about Nigel Pearson and me coming in as his assistant? And to be fair to the club, they kind of looked at it and thought, yeah, that... that you know that that could be an option. So I would I would certainly come back in a, an assistant capacity, but not as a coach. I certainly wouldn't relocate just to do coaching. It would have to be in a managerial capacity. And uh, you know I, I'm not ruling out now. I've applied for a couple of other managerial jobs over the last six to eight months. Um, so I, I'm fairly active in that point of view. Um, but at the minute, I mean I'm enjoying. Listen, if I was a manager at the moment or a coach somewhere. I wouldn't be able to come and do stuff like this and, and enjoy myself and, and actually watch the game today as a fan. So I'm really looking forward to it. We definitely don't want to see you in the opposition dugout at the stadium alike. <laughs> By the way, one more on this. Just, I mean, how sad would it be? And I know how the fans would feel, but how sad would it be for you if it never happens in terms of being the manager at Sunderland? Because it looks like it'll never happen now for Kevin Ball, even though we all assumed it would. I know he's been caretaker twice, but he's never been... The manager and, and I personally think that is quite sad. How sad would you feel if it never happens for you? Um, I, listen, Tom, I've been there, seen it, and experienced a lot of things in life. I wouldn't. It's the same that people say to me about: Do you wish you'd have moved on and played for a top two, top three, top four club? Do you regret it? No, I don't, because I've had great experiences. Long. If it doesn't happen, it's, if it's not meant to be, it's not meant to be. Um, I'll still. What I will be able to do then is come back. And never have to worry about my reputation so I could come back and, and still enjoy uh, but yeah of course you know maybe when you're 70 odd year old and you, you're sitting in your chair you think maybe maybe it would have been nice but listen what's meant to be I believe will be and, and if it happens great if it doesn't I'll always come back and support the club without a shadow of a doubt yeah, that's very honest especially with this always being recorded thank you for answering those particular questions I think maybe a round of applause for that honesty there
Uh, we're going to go back to now where it all began for you at Sunderland, anyway, and, and maybe just beforehand, because I think it, it's, it's common knowledge that you were very close to maybe being um, the Super Kevin chant. Super Kevin Phillips chant might have been sung by a different set of supporters wearing blue, but at the last minute there was a, a change of heart and you, you came up to Sunderland. Just talk us through what happened. Yeah, well, it, it, when, when it was made clear that I started my professional career at Watford um, under, under Glen Road, an ex-Newcastle, so, um, but yeah, I had two and a half years there when it, when it was made clear that, you know, there wasn't a future there for myself, I had to look at another, you know, I had to move on, so find another club, and, um, and we'd agreed terms, or not terms, yeah, we'd agreed terms, sorry, but the two clubs couldn't agree a fee, this is Ipswich Town Football Club, so... I'd made the journey up to up to Portman Road. We got a tour of the stadium under David Sheepshanks, who was who was the chairman at the time, and, and uh, George Burley was the manager. Agreed terms, but the club couldn't agree a fee. Uh, so the only way they could do it, one, that's, Watford had their view on the fee, Ipswich had their, and it, they were miles apart. So they had to go to a tribunal, and at the time they'd already had a player that, at tribunal. You couldn't have two at the same time. So it was going to take about a week to 10 days to get it to the trial. And I said, well, listen, I'm not going back to Watford now. After I'd made it clear, they'd made it clear that it was time to move on. I said, what are we going to do? And this conversation between me and my agent was in the car park at the stadium. And I said, I'm not going back. You need to find me a club. He says, oh, I'll tell you what. He says, um, I'm going to ring Peter Reid at Sunderland. And I was, my, my initial reaction was, and now I'll go back to... And Reedy tells it well, actually. I was with Reedy two nights ago doing a talking. And, you know, you just said, be careful swearing. Well, that doesn't happen with Reedy, does it? Because <laughs> every other word was expletive. Um, and he, he, he just tells us when I played for Watford up at Sunderland, I think the season or the season before that, he said, you're, you always stuck in my mind. You were a busy little player causing us problems. Um, but I remember that trip quite well coming up to Sunderland. Now, being a, a Southern boy... Um, never really been further north than the Watford Gap apart from playing at Ayrson Park in Sunderland and I don't want to offend anyone but I just thought I don't ever want to live up here ever because <laughs> <laughs> I just remember that trip down Wessington Way you know as you come there the, the houses are not there now but they used to be these older and I used to think oh my god please get in it was old SAS get in get the job done and get out um, so it wasn't you know a, I'm not saying where I came from down south was lovely. It wasn't, but um, I was just used to living down south. So when the agent went, Sunderland, I was like, you're joking, aren't you? I said, I'm not fucking going up there. I said, no way. So I swore, and I swore, I can't help it. Um, but he said, no, he said, listen. He said, Peter Reid, top manager, they've just come out of the Premier League. They're moving into this amazing new stadium. You know, there's plans for a new training ground. He said, they've got a great budget. They're going to have a go to try and bounce straight back. He says... I think it'd be perfect. So anyway, I said, okay. I said, but don't make out I'm in the car. Now, believe it or not, all them years ago, they, we did have a speakerphone in the car. So it was like, I couldn't believe that. So when he presses, uh, dials it, and really answers it, and he's a brother. Hello, uh, my agent, uh, Peter, he says, uh, I've got a, a player that you might be interested in. It's just, he explained to him about the Ipswich. He said, who is it? And he said, uh, Kevin Phillips. And, it, and his first words were, get him up here now. He says, I'll sign him. So I'm like, it, when he said that, I'm like that to me agent. <laughs> so my agent's like, yeah, are you serious? He went, drive him up here tonight. He said, well, I won't be able to drive him tonight, but might be able to get him up here tomorrow. And I'm like, I don't want to come. Then he put, yeah, no problem, I saw it, puts the phone down. I'm like, what the f I said, any chance of consulting me? I was like, he said, get yourself packed, you're going. I was like, so we had, we had the journey from Ipswich back to my hometown, Stevenage. It wasn't far. To, for me to think about it and I, the more he explained it to me I just thought and, and I'd lost me, me dad only about two months before and it was probably right for me to move out of the, the area just to get over my dad um, spoke to my wife we were expecting our first child at the time at, at Christmas and I just said to her look what do you think and she just went let's do it and I just went if she hadn't said let's do it I wouldn't have gone but she said let's do it so I packed my car up, got in the car at 6 o'clock the next morning. It took me about 10 hours to drive to Sunderland. We had, I had to have an A1 Atlas. There was no sat-navs in them days. <laughs> but luckily it was straight up the A1 all the way. And uh, I'd have to say it was the best decision I ever made. And it, 
You're always going to get a round of applause for that, by the way. It's a big delay, isn't it? You took it cheaper at, at any point, by the way. Yeah, go on. So obviously you were saying, you know, you had the, that sort of anxiety about coming up. And then you made the decision, obviously, to do it. But, you know, when you got the, to see the new stadium and everything, was it like, you know, were you thinking, I don't know what I was thinking the day before, to like get the opportunity to come up and, and, and play there? And, and yeah, well, it, it's... it's my first, of course, when I, I said before, when I came along Westington Way, when I played for Watford, of course, you know, the stadium light wasn't there. Um, but that same drive when I came in on Westington Way that day, you could see the stadium from the distance. And I thought, wow, you know, it, 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 that looks amazing. And it, and it wasn't quite finished then because it was, you know, still under construction and blah, blah, blah. And I was like, and, and I have to say the hairs in the back of my neck stood up and I thought, wow, I'm going to be playing in that. In a, in a couple of months so the closer I got and I made I didn't as I said before I had only had an address you know I had to literally when I got into Sunderland I never addressed for Sunderland literally when I got into Sunderland I had to find my own way and I thought that the stadium was ready and it was like so I went to the new stadium and I'm driving out I could see people with hard hats and I'm thinking this, this ain't ready is it of course so wound my window down of course didn't have electric windows <laughs> So, excuse me, mate, um, look, I'm after Peter Reed, Peter Reed's office, and the guy's in, nah, mate, he's not here, he'll be at Roker Park. And I'm like, where's that? So I couldn't remember the way, because obviously, anyway, he said, blah, 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 blah. Anyway, I found it eventually, but I just thought, you know, when you drive around, I was thinking, unbelievable, I cannot wait. And from that moment, I was determined to be successful. I think what helped me as well was there was no pressure on me. You know, no one really knew who I was. I came for a relatively low, well, it was a low fee. Um, so I, I just, it just felt right. As soon as I, as soon as I met Reedy's, unbelievable. Just made me feel part of the club straight away. No pressure on me and, uh, you know, I, I couldn't wait to get in that stadium. It, it, it's an incredible place when it's going well. When it's not going well, it's not so incredible, is it? <laughs> so obviously hitting the ground running must have helped as well, like settling in. Scored in the first game at the Stadium Alive. That must have helped with the move generally as well. Yeah, well, I think um, I think for any striker, you know, if you can get off the mark early, you know, for me it was, of course, we played the the Ajax game, the opening game, and and that was an incredible experience. I was living in a hotel, so it was all new to me, and it, and it was a great experience. But my my biggest um, eye opener in terms of not come, not crossing Peter Reed or getting on his bad side or annoying him was I didn't realise and if you remember I didn't play in the opening game at Sheffield United because I was suspended and I, I forgot that I got sent off for Watford in the last game of the season or second from last game so it was only literally was, and Reed didn't so I we did all pre-season we played the the Ajax game I started did okay and then the week before the Sheffield United game, on the Monday, we started doing teamwork for the game on the Saturday. So we Monday, Tuesday, off Wednesday, Thursday, Friday. So we did the Monday, Tuesday, with me and the team to start. So anyway, Tuesday afternoon, my agent rang me, said, how's it going? I said, yeah, brilliant, you know, I think I'm going to start Saturday. And he's like, what do you mean? And I was like, yeah, we did some teamwork yesterday and today, off tomorrow, Thursday. He said, you can't start Saturday. I said, what do you mean? He went, you're suspended. And I went, Oh, I was going to swear again then. I said, I completely forgot about that. He said, well, you're going to need to let Reedy know. And I'm like, I, I was myself, I, I can't ring him. So anyway, I should have really. And, and Reedy got more annoyed because I didn't know. So all day Wednesday, I'm sat stewing on it, thinking, how am I going to tell him? How am I, I don't want to annoy the manager straight away. So Thursday morning, I get in early, I go and knock on his door. And I said, Gaffer, can I have a word? He went, yeah, no problem. I said, it's about Saturday. He went, yeah, it's funny enough, I wanted to have a you, chat with you about Saturday. And I'm thinking, he's going to tell me, don't you know you're suspended? And he, he's just started going on. So he said, right, when, we get, when we're in this situation, I want you to come short and blah, blah. So I'm thinking, oh, crap. He's like, for half an hour, he's talking about the game Saturday. And at the end of it, I went, uh, I've got something to tell you. And he's like, yeah, what, what, what's wrong? I went, I'm suspended Saturday. And he went, yeah, all right, yeah, good. I went, no, Gaffer, honestly, I'm suspended. <laughs> expecting a volley and he was like you could tell he weren't happy of course and he was like you I won't say what he said but but he weren't annoyed at me he was a little bit annoyed at me but he was more annoyed at, at, at you know the powers that be the chief or the secretary because they didn't tell him that I was suspended 
So I got my first taste of what Reedy could be like. But he was great with me. Anyway, you're right, you know, we, we would have won if I'd have played, of course. Oh, of course. But we got yeah. beat 2-0, was it? 2-0 away. And then I, I think it was the Tuesday night, wasn't it? Man City at home. And, you know, I couldn't wait to get going. And, uh, I met, you know, my first experience was the noise, the atmosphere. But when that ball came over, and I think Kevin Ball got in, hit it, the keeper down, it just ricocheted, uh, dropped into my path. And I smashed it in and... As a striker, you know, all the clubs I've been at, getting off the mark early doors is a massive relief. And, uh, you know, I suppose after that, I just, you know, it was one of those, I just couldn't, couldn't stop scoring. But getting off the mark early really, really helps. So I remember the PA announcer gave it to Lee Clark, the goal. Yeah, they did, yeah. Lee, I remember that. And yeah. then he gave Lee Clark score, he scored off, he gave it to you. He must have felt <laughs> bad. Well, we have been mistaken for each other, but uh, until we open our mouths, you, know, yeah. you, you wouldn't be able to mistake us then. But uh, when, when I ran away to that far corner, I remember my arms, and I've got the picture on my wall now, up in the air with a massive smile. Anyway, I, I, I got whacked in the mouth about two months later, and I had to go to the dentist. And you kind of think, you know, coming from Watford, it, it, of course, you know, it's a big football part of the world down here, but it's not like the northeast, is it? So I went to the dentist and I walked in there and on the wall was a massive photo of that celebration and underneath it put, and you could have teeth like this. <laughs> and I'm thinking, bloody hell, that would never happen at Watford, would it? <laughs> so that kind of hit home then that, wow, I'm in a, you know, just a, an incredible place that people just love football. That photo was probably in half the living rooms in, in yeah. Sunderland, to be fair. Yeah. <laughs> Tell us more about the relationship between Peter Reid and Bobby Saxton, because it worked. Yeah, well, it was, and, you know, Reedy always gives a glowing tribute to, to Sacco, as he did the other night, you know. For, for me, Sacco was a huge part of the, part of the team, you know. Um, Reedy, his man management skills were excellent. Of course, he knows tactics, he knows football inside out, but Bobby Saxton was tactically very, very good in terms of training and getting, you know, putting sessions on. Um, and they just bounced off each other. And, and Reedy's got some incredible stories about Sacco. And yeah, they would disagree, but you know, the way that they just helped each other was just, you know, I think you all saw the Premier Passions, you know, program. And yeah, they would fall out, but they had so much respect for each other. And, and Sacco was, was amazing. Um, you know, I, and to, this, to this day, you know, whenever you talk to him, he's the sort of guy you just sit and listen to him because he's got so much knowledge of the game and uh, he just total respect. So, yeah, he was, uh, he, again, you know, he was another person that you didn't want to get on the wrong side of because he would let you know. But um, it was kind of a good cop, bad cop. If Reedy had a go at you, Sacco would come and put an arm around you. If Sacco had a go at you, Reedy would come and put his arm around you. They would never both go at you. So they got the balance just right. And, um, yeah, Sacco, Sacco was, was, was superb. It's quite interesting because back then people would, maybe it's just the, the way he looked or the fact that he was a bit older, people maybe thought that Bobby Saxton was, you know, past his best as a, an assistant manager or as a coach, but and your strike partner, Niall Quinn, always says how he was ahead of his time and you'd train with 10 men against 11 and, and only once in the whole time Peter Reid was there did you lose with 10 men because, and that was all down to, to Bobby Saxton, he wasn't... A, past his best at all the knowledge is in there you know physically yeah you slow down a bit but you know when you're a coach you don't need to run around anymore you just need to talk to people you need to organize uh, you need to you need to one of the biggest things as a coach is you've got to be ready because players challenge you and that's one of the biggest things i found you know in my short term as a coach you know if you're if you're not switched on up here and you get challenged by a player during training or in a meeting or you know half time in a game and you're not ready if you have to stutter or go uh, think about it the player's got you Sacco you never did that with Sacco and, and generally because you knew you couldn't challenge him or you could question him don't get me wrong and ask him but if you're challenging him about a decision he would have an answer straight away and so after a while you just thought as a player I'm not challenging him anymore because you know, there's nothing, I don't know, I don't know half as much as what he knows. So what's the point in challenge? Just accept what he's saying, do what he's saying and learn from it. And, uh, you know, that's the respect you get as a manager. Now, I've seen over the last five years being a coach, players challenge managers or challenge coaches and they've stuttered in their 
their response and it, it's not it's it's, kind of, it's uncomfortable uh, and the players got you then whereas that never ever happened with, with Peter Reid and, and Bobby Saxon so that, that just shows how much knowledge and respect they had in, in the game So yeah obviously the first season you, you came in you know we had a mixed start of the season and then we had that bad result at Reading where we got beat 4-0 and before that result you know when we got promoted 95-96 we were quite a functional team we won a lot of games tight games 1-0 in the Premier League I mean, really unlucky to get relegated with 40 points and we were quite sort of competitive and we were defensive and we played five across the middle, one up top and all that. And then it was weird after that Reading game, you know, we got beat 4-0 and it was just a complete change. You know, you're talking about like Saxon and, and, and Reid tactically and their approach. You know, was there a concerted effort afterwards in, in training and around the club to say look we're not going to do it the way we've been doing it we're going to do this now and we're going to go at teams we're going to be aggressive um, you know was, was there a, an obvious change in their approach um, no, I just think yeah being more positive in football matches um, going off the front maybe a little bit quicker off of big you know big Nile and myself you know, from times when Chrissy making would get it at right back or Mickey, you know, hit, hit a big diag off of Quinny, get the seconds, play higher up the pitch. Uh, it might sound obvious and, and old school. Well, you know, obviously it was a bit older school then, but, you know, it's never heard of now really, is it? Play off the front a little bit quicker, which I think nowadays teams should do it a lot more, um, especially if you're struggling. But, um, yeah, it's more of this attack team. Just go, because we know player for player, we've got good players and we could take on anyone in the league and I think yeah after that Reading game I, it, that was probably one of my lowest you know I'd only been there a short time but in terms of the atmosphere at the club after that game it, I think it hit home the position we're in because we at Elm, it was at Elm Park at Reading and I remember the bus pulled up and it was literally off the step of the bus a couple of steps and you're in the ground and afterwards there was a big crowd surrounding the bus and you could hear them you know, moaning and shouting and like, not happy. Uh, as much as it was not a nice experience, but one funny thing actually came out of that, that day was all the players literally were waiting inside the door and it was like, open the door and we'll sprint on the bus because we didn't want to get, people were throwing their season tickets, shirts, what security were trying to get at the players. So we're all inside waiting to go. Anyway, as it's going, lads were getting on the bus, you know, carrying down. John Cook, the kit man, who, as we all know, has been there years and years, played for it. And he, he had already made it in the dressing room, a bit of a joke, saying, listen, I'm not going to get no stick. He says, I'm the kit man. He says, and I, they like me here anyway. <laughs> so it, it was funny. We're all on the bus, and John like, kind of like strolls out, and all, all you heard was, Cookie said, and even you were shit when you pay for Sunderland Hotel. And he got it, and he was like, oh, crap. <laughs> so I think we all realised this is serious when the kit man got it as well. So... Um, I think we, you know, we, we, we had a, a team spirit at that time where we dealt with it ourselves. You know, we had characters in the dressing room with Bawley and, and Quinny, that, you know, and Alex Ray and Richard Ord and Andy Melvin, these experienced players, where we had our meeting, locked the door and just said, look, this can't continue. Uh, tactically, yeah, we've got to be more positive, but as our players, we need to look at ourselves and say, we need to step up now. And after that, you know, of course, we went on a fantastic run and... and, and almost got there uh, in the playoffs. So, some of the results that season as well, like going to Nottingham Forest, like Forest won the league, didn't they? Like beating them 3-0, like just destroying them. Like it was so unlucky not to get promoted, like really, with the points we got, the goals we scored. Like, Yeah, I probably, probably scored one of my best goals of the season at Forest when Quinny crossed it over near a volley. And, and, you know, like today, I, I'm not sure, was it going to be 2,500 supporters away at Oxford when it's 50 mile an hour winds that day we had the whole end of the forest ground and you know that just it was every away game we just knew that we had to turn up and play because there's going to be four five whatever sometimes six thousand supporters come and it was just we were so desperate to do well and as I say we 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 marshaled the dressing room ourselves now that doesn't happen very often now uh you know players are would rather ring their agent and moan to the agent or moan to the coach, not the manager, because they ain't got the, nut, the balls to do it to the manager. They'd rather do it to the coach or their agent, and the agent would ring them at. So, but then we would do it ourselves. You know, we'd, we'd iron it ourselves. Now, quite often, it don't happen now, but we would go to the pub 
and iron it out there and, and if it got a bit heated it got a bit heated that's just the way it was and you know that was a team spirit we had and uh, you're right you know that that season was some magnificent performances and, and of course you know unfortunately we fell at the last hurdle at, at Wembley and uh, you know unfortunately I had to come off after 60 odd minutes with cramp um, you know it might have been a different story maybe if I had a I don't know but uh, it in, in my view, you might disagree. I think it was the best thing that we didn't get promoted that season because yeah. I don't think we were quite ready. Next season, we obviously romped the league and, and that set us up nicely for the, for the seasons in the Premier League that we had. We had a lot of injuries at the start of that championship season as well. Um, I mean, you obviously were out for quite a while. Um, and then, you know, we had, I think, John Mullen was playing up front. Um, you know, we had, we had quite a lot of... You know, a lot of that team sort of, you know, just couldn't seem to stay fit, but we still had that more galvanised, it seemed, and we had that, you know, we still, beat, I remember we beat Tramay 5-0 one day, and, you know, we beat Oxford 7-0 with, like, Dicho and, like, Bridges up front and stuff like that. I mean, it was unbelievable, really, what we achieved with the injuries we had to essentially to our best players. Um, yeah. And you still got, what, 24 in, in 24? 25, get it right. 25 yeah. and 24. <laughs> I'll tell you every one if you want. And the goal, well, the goal you scored when he came back into yeah, the team, yeah, 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 yeah. like yeah. one of the un unbelievable, unbelievable. Yeah, it, I think because we, the biggest thing for me was after the playoff final. Of course, you, you're disappointed. You walk down that slope at the old Wembley behind the goal. It goes down to a slope. We were on the left hand side dressing room. We go in. Naturally, it's dead quiet. There's tears. You know, his lads throwing boots. But ultimately, it was a, it was a, some. It was very very quiet. And it was like that for about 10, 15. Even Reedy, you know, were lost for words and Sacco. But then all of a sudden, Big Quinny stands up and he just says, look, he says, what are we going to do? We're going to sit here remote now for the next hour, get on the bus, quiet back up to... Uh, I think we were stopping halfway for a, for a bit of a, a, a do and then heading on. So what are we going to do? We're going to sit here remote or we're going to say, right, sod it. Can't do anything about it. We've lost the game. We'll get on the bus, we'll have a beer, we'll stop halfway, we'll do what we need to do. When we get back to Sunderland, we'll all disperse. He says... Imagine the softest sheets you've ever felt. Now imagine them getting even softer over time. That's what you'll feel with and Branch's organic cotton sheets. In a recent customer survey, 96% replied that and Branch sheets get softer with every wash. Start getting your best night's sleep in these sheets that get softer and softer for years to come. Try their sheets with a 30-night guarantee. Plus, get 15% off your first order at bowlandbranch.com. Code BUTTERY. Exclusions apply. See site for details. Hey there, it's Michelle Norris. I'm host of a podcast called Your Mama's Kitchen. When I travel, I'm usually looking for a way to find a taste of home when I'm not at home. And one of the things I love to do when I am at home is entertain. And Airbnb allows me to do that. When I was in California recently, I rented a house that had a great kitchen. And when we were sitting around the table, we're all thinking, we're in someone else's house. Someone could be in all of our homes as well. If you have a home, but you're not always at home, you have an Airbnb. Your home might be worth more than you think. Find out how much at airbnb.com slash host. When we report back for pre-season, he says, we need to forget about it. He says, we need to kick on now. We know we've got the nucleus of a good side, another couple of additions through the summer. He says, we'll challenge next year. And after he said that, you know, Reedy said his bit. He said, when we report back for pre-season, he says, I don't want to hear a word about the player final. And to his word, we reported for the first day, whenever it was, we never even mentioned the player final. It was all about the season. And we approached it with a positive mindset. And I think from the outset, we were destined to go up that year. Of course, we didn't realise we'd go up in the manner we did and the way we romped it. But we were determined to, to, to go up and... You know, of course, from a personal point of view, I started the season well, then I missed it. And Reedy said it the other night, and I think it's one of his biggest gripes is that we, I think it was, it was Chester on a Tuesday night in the Cup, and I was on fire at the time. And, and he said, I don't want to play here. I said, I want to play. And, he, and I, he said, I don't. I said, I'm playing. And he went, All right, you can play. Anyway, hindsight, I shouldn't have played because <laughs> I got injured. And I was out for three months. And, uh, but you're right, we, even though I was missing, Dicho stepped up, Bridgie stepped up. 
um, and we continued that momentum. And you know, when I come back into the team, of course, the QPR goal. And then, you know, the biggest highlight of the season for me was when we got promoted at Berry. And I think there was a lad here who was a mascot. Yeah, this lad here was the mascot at the time. Um, which has made me feel really old. But uh, he said I only scored actually, and I had to correct him and say, no, I, I got four goals that night. That was a, 20, that was a 25th. <laughs> yeah. So uh, that, that night was incredible. And then we went to Barnsley, I think, midweek and secured it. Uh, with the win there to win the title and you know it was just a, an amazing season and uh, yeah I finished with 25 not 24 so you need to do your research um, I haven't done any research I'm kind of got within one to be honest uh. I think that goal at Barnsley was my favourite to be fair yeah do you know that goal always sticks with me because if you actually watch it now on the, it was actually there was snow day and if you remember when it was freezing you think it's nearly the end of the season that's typical Barnsley isn't it but um, I picked the ball up near the dugout on the left-hand side. And if you listen to the video, all you can hear is Bobby Saxton going. And I picked up near the halfway line on the left-hand side touchline. He's like, go on, son, go for goal. I'm thinking, I'm, I'm near the halfway line on the left-hand side. <laughs> but he's like, go on. So I just thought, right, the assistant manager's telling me to go for goal, so I'm going for goal. So I just ran inside, I cut inside, and I just let leave 25 yards. And I remember it dipping over the keeper into the far end corner and, and we had the whole end didn't we and it was just Friday night as well yeah Friday night it was freezing and it was just it was just amazing and we secured obviously the league title that night and uh, yeah it was a fantastic night after the game we all went back to Durham where we used to congregate for many nights out and we used to go to a place called O'Neill's and I used to room with Alan Johnson now he never drunk Alan was very well, was teetotal so sensible it was scary not, not obvious for a Scottish man, is it? Because, uh, of course, we all think of Alex Ray. Uh, but we, we won't go there. <laughs> so, Alex, we're we like, Al, you've got to come out. You've got to come out. We've just got promotion last year. You know what happened? You've got to come out. He says, all right, I will. So, anyway, we got him drinking, didn't we? Oh, my God. <laughs> I remember going halfway through the night to the toilet in O'Neill's. I don't know if anyone ever went there in Durham. It was up near the doors and, it, it, you know, the old horrible urinal. He slumped headfirst in the urinal. And I thought, Alan Johnston, I thought, shall I take a photo? But I won't, I won't do it. So when I, when I next seen him, I was like, I can't believe you drunk the other night. You let yourself down, you have big stars. <laughs> you, you made me drink this game, you made me drink. <laughs> but uh, now we had a cracking night and... Um, yeah, that was, it was a fantastic way to, to finish the season. It's quite interesting. When you talk there about how you'd all kind of go at the pub together, how difficult is it these days, your last few positions as, as a coach, to actually get a team spirit together? Because it, um, unfortunately where I am, I know a lot of Newcastle fans, and, and unfortunately I know some of the, the entertainers, as they were called, and they say that when they were... You remember they were 12 points clear and they messed it up in the, in the Premier League, Newcastle, and they said that they had a real team spirit going to the pub together socialising together and when it got quite close to the fact that they might actually win the Premier League the manager Kevin Keegan said right that all ends now we've got to be professional if we're going to beat Manchester United no more drinking and actually it all fell off now I'm not saying that the beer was helping them to the title what, what I'm saying is by the way the Phantom, Phantom Brew beer does help me to that um, but what I'm saying is that team spirit is so important and how do you get it these days when those kind of days of going out together like that are now frowned upon and are fairly impossible because of social media? Yeah, of course. And, you know, players are a lot more aware of that now. They're, they're, you know, they're, they're very wary of going places and doing Now, listen, everyone's going to slip up every now and then. Unfortunately, when you do, someone's there to, to record it. Uh, we didn't have that issue, thank Christ. Um, but, yeah, it's very hard now to recreate. You can still create team spirit I think it, the biggest thing now about getting is doing your 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 background checks doing your due diligence of knowing what sort of players you're bringing to the football club your recruitment is so you know so huge now if you get that right brilliant if you don't it can kill you um, but back then you know we were predominantly British side you know a lot of, very few foreigners and when when they came in they had to adhere to what we were what we were about um, so nowadays it's not about going to the you can still go out as a group but it's hard to listen we all know I'm not encouraging drinking but we all know we all relax a little bit more when you've had a drink 
you, you kind of speak the truth a little bit more. And sometimes, you know, you, you need that to find out what people are about, what people are like. Um, and that certainly helps. But it's, yeah, I think nowadays the team spirit is certainly not the, the, the camaraderie, the banter. You can't have the banter with players now that you used to have because they take the fence to it again. They'll ring their agent. He's picking it, blah, blah, blah. It's, it's just not the same. But successful teams, generally, you'll find... It's like West Brom this season in the Championship. Rotherham, I'm sure their core, their team spirit at the minute is, is second to none. And that, that, that really helps. So we, we had an incredible... You, you, you kind of like the early seasons at Sunderland. The last season, obviously, when we got relegated, when you look at the side, we had quite a lot more foreign players in the team, didn't we? Um, you know, the, the, the Butlers, myself, the Alex Rays, the Quinnies weren't there, you know... Uh, you know, that core, you know, the summer bees, the, the makings, the British lads who had that big core, it started to fade out a bit and it, it, you kind of lost it and you're on a kind of hiding to nothing then. Um, so, yeah, I think that hurts Sunderland in the end. But today it's totally, totally different, totally different. Uh, there's a couple more questions before we open it up to, to, the, um, to the audience here. But I, I just want to ask you about those times when, when you finish seventh second... Uh, finished seventh twice, sorry, so close to getting into Europe. Now, the Sunderland fans were desperate to get into Europe, just like when we got to the League Cup final in 2014, desperate for a European run. Um, I know back then, for, for, for the, the younger listeners and people here who might not know, there was the Intertoto Cup. Peter really wasn't keen on because it meant a, a, a shorter pre-season and a basically a more tiring season. The fans were desperate for Europe. How desperate for, were the players to get into Europe? Yeah, huge. That was our goal, to be honest, you know, finishing that sixth place. Uh, of course, the first season wasn't even on our radar uh, until we, you know, of course, we, there was a sniff of it. But it was more just try and finish as high as we can. Uh, but the second season, you know, when that, when that season finished and we thought, oh, Lord, hold on a minute, you know, people have sat up and taken notice. Of course, you know, I just had an incredible season myself with, a, with the you know, top goal scorer, the, the, the golden boot, the European golden boot, went to Euro 2000. All of a sudden people are talking about Sunderland in a different light. Um, so then it was about who could we recruit in the summer to take us to that next level, which was European football. And again, we just, just fell short of it. But we, we were desperate to, you know, we'd had a successful season in the Premier League uh, I think was it the first season we got to the semi-final of the the League Cup? Was it? Or was that, that was the second promotion? Yeah. That was a promotion season. Was it? Was it yeah. the promotion? So we'd had a bit of success, you know, trying to get to a final. Um, next step was can we get to European football? Because that would have been amazing. Imagine European nights at the stadium of light. It would have just been unbelievable. Because you've always said that was the time to buy. Yes. When you're doing well, yeah. rather than when we eventually spent money, it was when we finished seventeenth. Yeah, yeah. So that that got asked to Reedy two nights ago. So that was, you know, and that's one of the biggest questions I've had to answer, and, and I'm sure Peter has. But he, you know, he said, and "Now listen, I don't know what goes on in terms of the board, the chairman at the time." But he said the money wasn't there to bring in the type of player that we. Pro I, I was convinced we only probably needed two, straight three, top class players to take us to that next level, um, but. You know, we weren't able to shop in the Harrods. We were probably just a, you know, a Marks and Spencers or whatever, you know, as, as the old saying goes. Or, you know, nowadays it's Lidl, isn't it? Or it's... That? <laughs> yeah, it's gonna... Hey, Lidl's, Lidl's all right to be. Charity shops. Yeah, Lidl's all right. We, we should uh, be shopping at Lidl now. Yeah. Um, but, yeah, Reedy said, he, he just said that the finances wasn't there. So we had to, you know, maybe look at players that come into the... Like a tour, Andre Flo, you know, Marcus Stewart... You know, these players, were they really going to make take us to that next level? Now, no, Tor's been a great player. Marcus has had a good, good career. But I don't think they... You know, as a player, you're sitting there thinking, that ain't really going to take us to that next level. So it was a bit it was a bit, bit disheartening. And then, of course, you know, Niall had to retire and players moved on. We never really recreated what we had and we never never really fulfilled our, our potential. Well, we, in, in that second season, though, we did, obviously, we had brought Don Hodgson in, Julio came in. Well, the same thing happened, didn't it, where it was that we were great up to Christmas and then we had that period for two or three months after Christmas where we just couldn't seem to get a win or get on a run and then after, usually after March, April and we just nearly got 
that, that place. I think we lost. Did we lose at Everton on the last, or draw at Everton on the last day of the season? I think we missed out on seven. Yeah, it was two two. Two, it two, two, all, two. Yeah. It's just typical two that day. It's typical though, isn't it? Like after we finished seventh, seventh two years in a row, how many teams have finished seventh and not got into Europe? Yeah. Like yeah, yeah. pretty much every season after that, you finish ninth now and yeah. play the Europa League. Mm. Yeah. Yeah, no. Birmingham got relegated. Oh, this, this season fifth is going to get you into yeah, Champions League. No, yeah, season, incredible. Um, no, you're right. It, it, it was, it, you know, that's probably one. When you look back, and I look back on Miss Sunderland Korea, and I'm sure you know the older generation in here. You know, at that time, we all want, we would all loved a bit of European football. Uh, you know, that's a long way off now, of course, but um, we were very, very close, and it, it would have been amazing, and and that probably would have topped my Sunderland career off. Uh, would would have been amazing, but. Hey, listen, we all live in hope, don't we? Uh, first and foremost, let's get out of this league and then climb the, and let's just see what happens. But, uh, you know, as I think Dom said earlier, you know, the, the, the ground and the training ground are Premier League status, European football status, but... We're Premier League club in League One. That's yeah. what we are. Yeah. That, that is so a fact. We need to get out of it, of course. Right, we're going to open this up to you all now. Because it's being recorded, you're going to need to come up to the microphone, so I'll come out as far as I can to you. Uh, you can come up. Uh, where, where is Dom? Dom, I think that there's, there's, uh, there's three empties here, Dom, with this, uh, you don't know. Uh, the super, super Kev might want a shot. And by the way, I have to say, it's a fantastic time. Is everyone enjoying it? Yeah. One thing I've been burning to ask, and it's a little bit left field. Uh, Matty Piper's talked about the video of the goose incident under Howard Wilkinson and the bag of metals incident under Howard Wilkinson. Have you got any other left field stories about Howard Wilkinson you can share? Um, yeah, yeah, of course. Them, them two, and I've used them many a times when I've done many sportsman's dinners. Um, Hey, listen, I'm not going to... It was a strange appointment, wasn't it, when Howard was... And, and I, for one, was very surprised um, when Howard was appointed. And then, of course, um, Steve... What, what's his... Cottrell, yeah. Steve Cottrell was um, appointed as assistant. It was like chalk and cheese, you know. You got All of a sudden, you've got a UEFA uh, pro licence holder, one of the youngest who ever have got it, and then you've got one of the oldest experienced managers together. It was kind of like, and Steve always wanted to be a manager. He never made that, you know, uh, he always made that clear. So it, it was a strange setup, and, and it just never worked, did it? But I, I have to give credit to, to Howard because he came in at a, a tricky time and he tried everything, absolutely tried everything. He got psychiatrists in, psychologists in. We had meetings where people would go into huge companies, billion pound companies, who would solve problems within the, the workplace. We had people come in to try and solve that for us. Um, we had the nettle incidents where, you know, you've got to grasp the nettle and the, the, the geese one is an old, you know, and, and when you actually watch it, I've still got the DVD of it because it makes sense. You know, it does make sense. If you're tired, you fall to the back, someone else goes to the front and you create drag and it brings everyone through. So. Hold on, you want half? <laughs> um, have I got any more? They're probably his two famous ones, but he used to, he used to um, wear a mic in training, so he'd have big speakers like this around the sides of the pitch. And of course it was, you know, the, the training ground at Sunderland at the time, very windy on most days. So he'd have a mic in there and he'd be like, it looked like fucking Madonna. I thought, is he going to break out in a song in a minute? But he, so the players, and it made sense again. Everything he did made sense, but it's just the way he did it. Because I've been in many training sessions where a manager would be talking, say I'm talking to Tom on, where, say, the right wing. You know for a fact that the left back ain't paying no attention whatsoever. He's probably talking to the goalkeeper, discussing where we're going to go that night. So he would like wear the mic so everyone could hear what he was saying, which made sense. But then what we would do after training we'd have to go in because he'd have training recorded as well we'd go in straight after training get dry or whatever and then go in and watch the video of training now i just bored the arse off us it was just meeting after meeting after meeting and uh but i have to say he tried everything to try and get us out of the situation we was in so you know i'm not going to hammer the guy but it was kind of old school and it, and to be fair it just didn't work 
because Steve Cottrell was very bubbly, he wanted to do everything and, and it just... It was just the wrong thing, wasn't it? Yeah, it was Poor just the wrong thing. thing. Yeah, and I think the club hold their hands up and say they got it wrong, but it, hey, listen, it, it's, it's one of those. Any more questions? Yeah, do you want to come up? Bob, Bob, Bob Murray, by the way, has always said that Harry Wilkins is the only ex-manager who never speaks to him. The only one, the only one he's kind of fallen out with forever. Bob Murray said that about um, Howard Wilkinson. Right, on we go. I hope you're warm now, guys, by the way. Uh, hopefully you can hear me, but um, everyone here wants you to be a manager at some point, but what kind of manager is Kevin Phillips? What's your philosophy? Oh, wow, blimey, I'm not going to I'm not sure whether this is being recorded, so I don't want to give too much away. Um, philosophy is, you know, the perception of philosophy. Listen, nowadays you don't get the chance, you don't get the time to go in and put, get your philosophy across. It's simple. Find a way of winning football matches. End of. And that is it. You know, from what I've learned, as a coach and watch. If you don't win football matches, you're gone, end of. People will turn on you. So it's about going in, you're not gonna get a long-term plan anymore, you might get 18 months if, you, if you're lucky. So really for me, it's about playing effective, attractive, yes, of course, we all want that, but it's about effective football that wins football matches. Uh, and you can only you can only determine that when you go in somewhere and what players and you know and actually working you, you can find that out. Now, if I was to put in charge tomorrow of Sunderland or whoever, it might be a bit easier Sunderland because I've watched them a lot this season, so I'd have my own opinion, which I'm not going to go into. But if I was to go into, I don't know, a Blackpool for instance, who have got you know vacancy at the minute, I don't know nothing about the football club. But until you go in and watch the videos and train with the players. I could go in with philosophy, right, I want to play this system, but then players might not suit the system I want to play. They might not suit the way I want to play until you go in and work. But now that takes time to get it across. Now you're not going to get that time. So it's about finding a way with what you're working with, getting results. And the biggest thing for me is man managing the players. And that's the key. If you man manage them right and make them feel good about themselves, ultimately you'll get results. So in terms of philosophy, it's... It determines. I think that was that was something we saw at the beginning of this season, where Jack Ross obviously wanted to play initially five at the back, and we just didn't have didn't have the players to do it. Like Conor McLaughlin playing playing right wing, playing centre half, it just wasn't. It's all very well having a going in saying I'm going to do this, this, and this, yeah. but then you find out oh, actually I can't do that. Do you know one of the biggest things for, for me? Two two instances. Sam Sam Allardyce. I remember li listening to him on a, a, an interview. I can't remember who. Where he was, I think it might have been when he went into West Ham. You know, someone said to him, "You've been a manager for a long, long time. You're, you know, we, we all think his philosophy was back to front. You know, off to just hoof it. Not a lot of football." They said to him, "You know, as times have changed, you know, what what's the biggest thing you've had to change?" And he said, "Do you know what?" He says, "Adaptability." He said, "I've had to learn to adapt to the environment that I'm going in to work with. I can't go in now." Bolton is different. He said, I can't go in now and do what I would did. I have to work with what I've got and adapt to. So you're right. The second one was when I worked at Leicester, when we got promoted, the first season of the Premier League, Christmas time, we're dead and buried. We're, we're eight or nine points, cut adrift at the bottom of the Premier League. Now, Nigel had his way of playing, 4-4-2 four, four, or 4-2-3-1. Or up until Christmas, it wasn't working. So we tried, so we, we looked at the players and we thought, well, 4-2-3, 4-4-2's not working. We've got to try something different. And it transpired and it worked out that we were just set up to play a five at the back. So we went with Jeff Schlup and a Mark Albright and his two wing-backs. And then we had Morgan, Vasilevsky and Hoof as our three centre-backs with Cambiasso, if you remember Esteban, Drinkwater James and Vardy and Nugent. And and we never until then realised that system actually suits the players we've got in the, in the squad. And, and, and in the end, I think it was, the point at, well, it was the point at Sunderland that kept us in the league. And so you're right, you don't know. I could go in with philosophy, I'm doing this, I'm doing... If, you, if, you, if you're stubborn, a bit like Bielsa at Leeds is a stubborn man, that could be his undoing. Starting to yeah, it is. Uh, yeah, you can't be like, you style. can't be like that anymore. So I think you have to be a bit flexible as well. 
I think uh, Dom wants a question. Do you, Dom? Is that what you're signalling to me? You're just signalling to me. Do you want a question? Oh, he's, oh, right, fine. Sorry. What you're saying is there's no more questions. Is that what you're saying? Hello. We'll, we've got time for one more. Can you got your hand up? Go on. That's Dom, by the way, the, the owner. Hey, Kevin. Um, I wanted to ask you about your time with England. Um, I think a lot's been made of. Um, the power some of the sort of senior players had at that time, specifically Shearer and some of the kind of Man United and Liverpool players. What was your experience of that? And, and I guess sort of to what extent do you think that sort of stopped you and some of the players from kind of some of the lower down clubs in the Premier League from succeeding in, in, in England? Yeah, no, it's a good question. And it's probably the, the most common question or second common question I get asked every time I do one of these. Um, Listen, uh, you'll all have your own view in terms of Kevin Keegan, Newcastle and Allen. You know, did they pick the team? Is there that divide? Was there that, you know, that rivalry that stopped me from progressing? Listen, I, I've got my own views on that. And because we're being recorded, I might keep a little bit of that to myself. But, um, you know, if we want to turn it off, I'll give you a real answer. But, uh, <laughs> but we'll be turning it off in about two minutes. Yeah, I'll tell you on the bus. I oh, know we're not going on the bus, sorry. But, um... The, the way I look at it, yes, possibly. Um, no disrespect to, and I would never disrespect Sunderland Football Club. Of course, if I'd have been probably playing for an Arsenal or Man United at the time, I would probably have 20, 30, 40 caps. But I wasn't. I'll tell you what, though, the way I answer it is I'm privileged to have eight caps. Because if I was playing now, I, I'm sure I'd be well, you know, 40, 50 caps. But I, I'm not. But when I was playing, I'm challenging Shearer, Andy Cole, Robbie Fowler, Michael Owen, Heskey, Letizia, Ferdinand, Sutton. There's eight straight away. Who, who would I be competing against now? Kane. Injured. You know, Rashford, who's injured. You know, it's Danny Ings and, you know, good players. But when you're competing against eight top class who are all at big clubs and I'm at Sunderland I've still got eight caps I'm very very honoured and privileged to have got that I've got eight more than thousands of other people but to answer your question yes maybe maybe just going to have one one more final question just because just a nice question just to, to tell everybody how your sporting genes have been passed down to your son and daughter yeah, um, yeah. My son plays for Rochdale. He's in. The, he's a scholar, so he's doing very well. Um, hopefully, he might get offered a professional contract. But my, my daughter, two week, two or three weeks ago, she just passed her amateur jockey's license. So we, she raced at Wolverhampton for the first time. We we don't live far from Wolverhampton, so it's about twenty of us went, and it was one of the most proudest moments. My lad played for the first team against Man City before Christmas. I thought that was the proudest moment. Then my daughter makes her debut as a jockey. Now, any parent in here, it is a dangerous, dangerous sport. So when you watch your daughter going 40, 42 mile an hour on a horse in a pack was quite daunting, but she did amazingly well. And uh, she got a lot of coverage through Sky. Thanks for Sky and uh, Talk Sport and this and that. But she's, yeah, she's an amateur jockey and uh, she lives in Newmarket. So it's, um, can't wait to watch their, I can take a back seat now and watch their career move forward hopefully absolutely fantastic right I think just to end this I think we just need everybody here to just uh, remind us all who put the ball in the Geordie's net
Imagine the softest sheets you've ever felt. Now imagine them getting even softer over time. That's what you'll feel with Bowling Branch's organic cotton sheets. In a recent customer survey, 96% replied that Bowling Branch sheets get softer with every wash. Start getting your best night's sleep in these sheets that get softer and softer for years to come. Try their sheets with a 30-night guarantee. Plus, get 15% off your first order at BowlingBranch.com. Code BUTTERY. Exclusions apply. See site for details.